It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. That puts it midday all over the Midwest, and we have information for you here. So lock it down. Keep it right there on your Rural Radio Network station as we fill you with information that you'll be able to contemplate as you get going into this weekend. And I don't know. It's kind of an oddly shaped 4th of July, I think, this year when you have to spend the weekend and then come back on Monday. I hope that you're getting the day off. And then uh, try to celebrate Independence Day on Tuesday. It's I'm not coming back. You're not coming back? No. <laughs> I, I'm taking the whole week off, too. So. Really? Okay. Well. I'm just taking Monday off. Are I'll you? be back home in Illinois. Are you, are you entering the Miss Illinois Firecracker Contest? Then? No. No? You going no. to help clean things up there in your state when you're back? No, they're on their own. <laughs> oh, God, don't it's a mess. <laughs> All right. Essie Harding is here with our Ag Headlines. And coming up at the 12:13, big news coming this week. Obviously, getting rid of WOTUS was big news, but also we have folks over in China as they did receive the first shipment of U.S. beef to China. Among them was our very own Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Greg Ibaugh, as well as Secretary Sonny Perdue. So we'll have some audio from both of them about how that event went. Also coming out 11 a.m. Central Time was USDA's Stocks and Acres Report. And just a slight preview, acres were for beans were lower than expected. Trade estimates, corn was higher than what was anticipated before that report. Dewey will also have more coming up right after this preview. For the 1219, Shaley Peters is with our Nebraska State climatologist, Al Dutcher. He touches on heat stress next week and catalyst high temperatures are expected. As we move into the newsmaker, I finished up being on the UNL water tour. And I am joined with Jeff Butner. He is a public relations coordinator with Central Nebraska Public Power Irrigation District. We talk about them being a co-sponsor and co-host of that tour. Also discussing what Central Irrigation District, what they actually do when it comes, the water from the North Platte comes into Lake McConaughey and then all the way through their district. And then also big thing for irrigators in this area is what the levels at Lake McConaughey are and what they anticipate for this irrigation season because of that. And then finally for the 117, Shaley Peters is bringing us our latest installment of Fridays in the Field. It's with Ben Peters. Irrigation is in full swing. Corn is close to tasseling and they've had some hail damage seen from the last time we were able to talk with them. So they'll give an update there for Mm -hmm. Central Nebraska. We'll look forward to it. Thank you very much, Jesse and Jason on sports. Keyshawn Johnson Sr. went on ESPN yesterday and gave his full account on why he made the decision he did to take his son, Keyshawn Jr., and haul him back home after he ran afoul with the law for marijuana in his uh, dorm room. And I'll have to admit, I've never really been a big Keyshawn guy, but after seeing the way he's handled this, you know, there's there's a lot of parents out there who who could learn something from this. It's not somebody else's fault. Right. It's the right. kid's fault. Got to own that. It was so, refreshing to see. Absolutely. So we'll talk on that. Also, some changes to Kansas State events. Uh, they are cracking down. No more concealed weapons will be allowed at Wildcat football and basketball games. Well, yes. Okay. In the past, you could take them in, yeah. but as of tomorrow, that ex that exemption yeah. with a state law. Goes bye bye. Wonder how those Aggies are going to react. Uh, I don't know, but uh, probably in this day and age, it's 
probably the, probably the right way to go. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, some news from Nebraska wrestling head coach Mark Manning. He has hired a new assistant coach, Kendrick Maple. We will tell you more about that. And Venus Williams could have some PR troubles over in Wimbledon due to the fact that sounds like she was in an automobile accident earlier this month. It might have been her fault. And the man she ran into, he died. Oh boy. And all of this now has become public right before Wimbledon. But she's over there, and she's going to play. All right. Briefly on business, the Dow is up across the board. All these stories and more coming up today on Midday. Revolution. It's at the heart of the American origin story and the American soul. And a new political era has this revolutionary spirit fired up and fighting back. I'm Tanya J. Powers. Join me as Fox News looks at where this fresh political awakening is headed in the new American Revolution. Politics from the grassroots up. It's a Fox News special, The New American Revolution, July 4th, following Fox News at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. on 880 KRVN. Paul Perkins is in here to find out what things you're going to be doing here for the weekend and on toward the 4th of July. What do you think, Paul? Well, we've got a chance for a little bit of rain, and we're going to need it as we see some very hot and dry conditions probably start to take over for late next week and into the middle part of July. Some people are getting some rain right now. A lot of it's right along the Nebraska-Kansas border over southwest Nebraska and northwest Kansas, McCook and Norton, back to that southwest corner of Nebraska and northwest corner of Kansas. And some of that light rain also into eastern Colorado, just to the south of Yuma. They were anticipating this to gradually end, but it continues just to redevelop and move to the east over those areas. Also some showers and thunderstorms right now into much of we'll call it north central and northeast Cherry County, especially towards the Valentine area. Temperatures on the cool side today. We will be cooler today. Our coolest over the next seven days. Better enjoy it if you're enjoying it right now. Cloud cover and thunderstorm chances continue to increase today. We'll see another second front drop through late in the day and that could kick up a few more showers and thunderstorms due to low instability not expecting a severe threat it should be on the low side if we do see anything at all temperatures will be very cool tonight we'll see high pressure push in from the west and clear our skies out and as that area of high pressure slips off through the east tomorrow those winds will turn more to the south that'll increase the humidity temperatures will be warmer tomorrow thanks to a ridge of high pressure to the west edging even closer disturbances and a front riding down the edge of that ridge of high pressure on the eastern edge of it for Sunday into Monday. That will help to bring us a chance of some thunderstorms, and there is the potential, especially on Sunday, of some severe storms. Temperatures with that front will cool back to more seasonal levels on Monday and Independence Day, expecting a rather warm day on Sunday. That high-pressure ridge expands eastward for Wednesday and Thursday, and that's when we're going to see that dome of high-pressure build across the area. Higher humidity and temperatures turning very warm. Little chance for rain or thunderstorm activity as that warmer air loft helps to cap any thunderstorm development. And in the long-term forecast, that high-pressure ridge will keep Nebraska, Kansas, and the entire nation, we're going to see the entire nation warmer than normal Wednesday through July 13th in the long-term forecast. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty powerful ridge of high pressure. Nebraska and Kansas also forecast to see mostly below normal rainfall Wednesday through July 13th. Weather factors in the market today include wet conditions in the central and east Midwest, also the eastern plains, and then the hot and dry weather for the northern plains with that high-pressure ridge next week. The next few days, an active and moisture laden cold front will sweep from the Midwest into the south and east U.S., 
Little or no rain, though, expected across the northern high plains and the west. Heat will continue to rebuild across the west, then overspread much of the central and eastern U.S. early next week, with the exception of the Midwest right off the bat. Wet conditions in the Midwest actually more of a concern in the south, central, and east areas than that upcoming threat of the western high-pressure ridge. Northwestern areas, though, of the Midwest may need to be watched as it turns drier and hotter with that high-pressure ridge. In the northern plains, rain rather limited with the potential of hot weather with that next week high-pressure ridge, especially to the Dakotas where it's already very dry in eastern Montana, the same case. Across the southern plains, some scattered thunderstorms may drop into central and east areas along the outside of the ridge to limit the crop stress. In Canada, dryness will be more of a concern as it turns hotter in the southwest and south-central part of Saskatchewan. Further north and east in the Canadian prairies, it should not be as hot and dry. Ag weather brought to you by Coleman Repair today. The whole nation hotter. When does that ever happen? Yeah, it's a, it's a big rarity that you see. It, it happens from time to time where we're either cooler than normal or above normal. But it's one of those rare cases where the entire nation is going to be warmer than normal. So you can guarantee we're going to see some serious heat next week. Um, haven't seen any forecast of triple-digit heat, but it's definitely going to feel hot and humid across the area. All right, and watch those drought numbers, too, if we don't get help soon. Exactly. And when you need weather anytime, krbn.com. Taking a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Beef is back in China with two days of showcasing Nebraska beef. Susan Littlefield has more. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue joined with U.S. Ambassador to China Terry Branstad to slice a Nebraska prime rib in a Beijing ceremony, formally marking the return of U.S. beef to the Chinese market after a 13-year hiatus. Now, on this trip is the Director of Agriculture for Nebraska, Greg Ibaugh. Yes, it is a great opportunity to be able to get uh, the name of Nebraska identified and connected with the great beef we produce. And hopefully it helps our plants that source um, their daily harvest from uh, individual Nebraska feedlots that are filled by individual cow-calf producers do more business more rapidly here in China. Now, China has emerged as a major beef buyer in recent years, with imports increasing from $275 million in 2012 to $2.5 billion in 2016. More events taking place tomorrow showcasing beef from Nebraska. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue this morning visited with the Rural Radio Network, fresh off his meeting with the China dignitaries in Beijing concerning U.S. beef. He says it was important for him to be there personally for these first shipments. Well, it was important from a celebratory standpoint because this is a big deal for U.S. beef producers and for U.S. agriculture, and it was very important to be on site, but uh, just as important to meet uh, my Chinese colleagues and uh, ministers and uh, vice premier in order to discuss other things. We've got a great agricultural portfolio in the U.S. and China is a huge market. We talked about uh, soybeans, we talked about rice, we talked about poultry, and we talked about biotech trade. We are not stopping with beef. We're moving forward and uh, trying to use this 100-day plan as a momentum to do more agriculture. There are a lot of hungry mouths here and uh, we want to take advantage of that. 
Purdue says they will now move on to Shanghai for another celebratory meeting, and he wanted to thank U.S. producers and agriculture groups for making these types of discussions possible. Also in attendance was NCBA President Craig Uden of Dar Feedlot in Dawson County, Nebraska. Quarterly corn stocks for June 1st came in at 5.225 billion bushels. It's the largest on record. And the March-May disappearance or use was at 3.4 billion bushels, which was higher from quarter last year. Total corn stocks was at 2.84 billion and were stored on farms, which was up 15% from last year. Soybean quarterly stocks stood at 963 million bushels, which was slightly below pre-report average estimate. And soybean stocks were up 11% a year ago. All wheat ending stocks were pegged at 1.18 billion bushels, which hit the high end of the pre-report estimates. Wheat stocks were up 21% a year ago. And Mike Zuzolo of Global Commodity Analytics says the big story was soybeans in today's USDA stocks report. We still had record high acres put out by the USDA today, 89.51 million, but it was lower than the average trade guess and towards the lower end of the range of estimates. And so given that and given the fact that the stocks report coming in at 963 million bushels, suggest that we could have a tighter 16-17 carryover. Zuzlo says a lot depends on the close trade today and how grains act on the charts the next few days. I'm Jesse Harding and you're listening to the Roll Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, looking back at this last week, I, as I mentioned ahead of time, thank you for the rain in central Nebraska. A lot of producers needing that. But some areas maybe not needing the rain and a lot of areas certainly not needing the hail. What can we expect headed into our 4th of July holiday here? Well, I think we're dealing with one last shot of moisture as we go into this weekend. We're seeing some of that moving across the southwestern part of the state, and it's expected to progress eastward. At the same time, a cold front coming in from the northwest will basically clear this moisture out for this weekend. And we should be looking for a very nice day for the second half in western Nebraska, northern Nebraska for today, and then pretty much everybody dry tomorrow. And then we start to see some return moisture feeding in advance of a shortwave trough moving through the central Rockies and the mid layers of the atmosphere. If we look at the models, there is a suggestion that we may see some initiation of thunderstorm activity as early as Sunday evening across portions of northern and central Nebraska, but a more robust feature shows up in the models for Monday, and depending on which model you look at, the placement of that convective outbreak is the difference between the models. And right now, it seems that it's being centered on north-central Nebraska through central Nebraska and then pivoting toward the southeast as the day progresses. If the models are correct, we need to be aware that there may be a slight bit of severe weather and possibly even some rotating thunderstorms, which means, as the initially onset, possibly seeing some tornadic activity developing. That system pushes through Monday night, and we see it hanging up a little bit in the southeastern corner, according to the latest model runs, so it's possible that that moisture may carry over in extreme southeastern Nebraska through at least the midday period on Tuesday before we start to see all of that shunt off toward our south and east, leaving us with ice conditions for the 4th of July celebration and the fireworks during the evening hours. Then things get a little bit more interesting 
as that shortwave passes, starts to strengthen as it gets to the east of us, that's going to inflate the ridge to our rest. And as it starts to build in, we're going to return to warm and humid weather, especially considering all the rainfall that we've seen just to the south of Nebraska across northern Kansas, of course, in Missouri with all the flooding that from previous events this week. That will allow the low-level moisture to hang in place. The reason I bring this up is temperatures are expected to go back up into the 90s and by the end of the week, possibly pushing the 95 to 100 degree range. Therefore, when we start projecting the models out for the cattle stress indexes, it's looking like we will see increasing cattle stress values as we go through the week. With the worst of the conditions right now being modeled for Friday, and we'd be looking at feel-like temperatures on the cattle stress index of anywhere from about 110 degrees to 120 degrees across the eastern two-thirds of the state with the most likely area for significant uh, heat, which would be in excess of 118 pockets of the northeast and the southeastern part of the state. This doesn't necessarily mean this is going to verify out if the models change, but it's a heads up to our cattle producers that some stressful weather is ahead and as we start to look at maybe the ridge breaking down slightly as we go into the following week, which was basically a week from this Monday, there are signs that may be a little bit of relief in terms of temperatures. But once again, that's two weeks out. We'll wait to see the model's performance over the next few days and whether or not they rebuild that ridge back in and keep the heat dome in place. All right. Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, in an appearance yesterday on ESPN, Keyshawn Johnson went in-depth on his decision to bring his son, freshman wide receiver Keyshawn Jr., home for the semester after he was caught using marijuana in his dorm room at Nebraska. Johnson feels he made the right decision. I'm not a big Twitter guy or Instagram guy, but I've seen messages from people, oh, you're too hard on... No, you're not going to tell me what to do with my son. Mm -hmm. That's one thing, and he's going to learn from his mistake, and he'll be better from it. He's here at home, he's training, he's working out, and if he doesn't want to play football like I told him, don't play. Because I'm not living vicariously through you. I already played. I don't need your money. Now, head coach Mike Riley said last week that the door is open for Johnson to return to the team in January if he takes care of business at home. UNK golfer Jay Cottom of Hebron and Lincoln's Justin Jennings are playing in the 36-hole final of the 50th annual Nebraska Men's Match Play Championship. Now, Cottom defeated 2013 champion Andrew Sajovic yesterday. Jennings, who's a former golfer for the Huskers, took down Humphreys' Trevor Cush. Nebraska head wrestling coach Mark Manning announced today the hiring of Kendrick Maple as an assistant coach. Maple is a two-time U.S. Open men's freestyle finalist, winning the title in April of 2017. Maple comes to Nebraska after spending one year at Purdue as an assistant coach, where he helped lead three Boilermakers to the 2017 NCAA Championships. Prior to that, Maple was a volunteer assistant coach at his alma mater in Oklahoma. K-State Athletics will implement enhanced security screening at all home football and men's and women's basketball games beginning this season in order to comply with the state's concealed carry gun law as an exemption previously provided to universities expires today. The law has been in effect, but universities had a four-year exemption plan to put policies and procedures in place before the law affected the campuses. That exemption expires on July 1st, and K-State has made the decision that they will restrict weapons allowed into their athletic events at Bill Snyder Family Stadium and Bramlage Coliseum. 
Venus Williams' publicist tells the Associated Press that the five-time Wimbledon champion will play at the tournament after a police report emerged in Florida saying that the, that the tennis star caused a car crash that led to the death of a passenger in another vehicle. Williams is in London, where this year's third Grand Slam tournament is scheduled to start on Monday. Now, police say witnesses told investigators that Williams ran a red light back on June 9th, causing a crash that injured 78-year-old Jerome Barson, who died two weeks later. An attorney for Williams says the light was green when she entered that particular intersection. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Tonight, there's a 10% chance of showers before 7 p.m., mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming clear with a low around 52 Saturday, sunny with a high near 87. I'm Ellen Laird. More information has been released in a Harlan County accident that occurred yesterday morning. Sheriff Chris Becker says it was reported around 7.27 a.m., about six miles east of Oxford on Highway 136. A car driven by 31-year-old Timothy Lundquist of Alma left the roadway and into an embankment where it struck a tree. Lundquist was pronounced dead at the scene. Restraints were not in use and alcohol may have been a factor. Nebraska Lifespan Respite Network is having the Taking Care of You conference on Friday, July 14th at McCook Community College. At this conference, attendees will have the chance to hear from multiple speakers and presenters on topics such as aging well, autism of all ages, and emergency preparedness. Other presentations include Mary Kay Makeover, Healthy Eating, and Tai Chi. For the full list of speakers and presenters, go to www.respitesw.ne.gov. Registration fee is $10, and to register, contact the McCook Community College Business and Community Education Director, Sharon Kircher, at 308-345-8123. Again, 308-345-8123. Nebraska's roads and aeronautics agencies are formally merging into a new state department, of transportation. Governor Pete Ricketts unveiled the new agency's name and logo outside of the building that has served as the Department of Roads' main headquarters. Nebraska had been the nation's only state with a Department of Transportation. Ricketts says combining the agencies will allow the state to streamline many of its services for roads, runways, and other transportation infrastructure. Governor Pete Ricketts has fired the head of the Nebraska State Patrol and placed six other employees on paid administrative leave after an investigation found inappropriate conduct by senior staffers. Ricketts announced that he had fired Colonel Brad Rice as the patrol superintendent. He says the state investigator has turned over his findings to the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office but declined to discuss what the review found. Authorities have arrested a man who they say carried a shotgun into an Omaha area store. Police were sent to the Irvington Walmart store around 11.45 a.m. Thursday after an Uber driver reported dropping off an armed man. Officers found two people in a break room and took them both into custody. One was released after questioning. The other, a 21-year-old man, was jailed on suspicion of terroristic threats and use of a weapon to commit a felony. In severe storm season, remember the KRVN Weather Watch never sleeps. In the News Center, I'm Ellen Laird.
coming to a conclusion yesterday was the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's water tour. Also partnering with them is the Central Nebraska Public Power and Irrigation District. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Jeff Butner. He is the Public Relations Coordinator with the Irrigation District. Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about being a co-host of the tour and why you guys decided to be a part of it. We have been a part of this tour for longer than I have been a, an employee of the district, and that's 27 years. So we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, it's been a great partnership over the years. Uh, we've had various other sponsors and partners over the years, but the one constant has been the Water Center and Central, and it's just been one of those relationships that has worked out so well that we see no reason to ever bring it to an end. We'll just keep doing it. And with this year's tour, it really focused on your district, where the water goes, how it works for you guys. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that does work when it comes into the district here at Lake McConaughey and then when it leaves your district? Okay, it was we were really within the Central Platte Basin, and that is the area that Central Nebraska Public Power and Irrigation District's project is, is located. And so while we, we spend a lot of time with district facilities, there are so many other things between Holdridge and Ogallala that we tried to touch on some of those as well because they all share that dependency on Platte River water. And so we've had University of Nebraska stuff, we've had NRD stuff, we've had vineyard stuff, we've had all kinds of different uh, groups giving us presentations on the importance of water and how it's utilized uh, in that central Platte stretch. Water comes in from the North Platte into Lake McConaughey. What happens once it reaches the lake here? Okay, we, during the non-irrigation season, of course, we try to store that as much as possible, but there are a lot of other demands for water. We can't just close the gates in October and not let any out. There are hydropower generation needs. There are cooling water needs at uh, downstream power plants, there are wildlife habitat needs, there are recreation needs. So really what we're doing is storing the water primarily for hydropower production and irrigation deliveries, keeping in mind of course that there are all those other demands on the water supply. Once it leaves McConaughey it goes into NPPD's system uh, through the Keystone Canal and they use it for their purposes along their system. Sutherland Reservoir, Lake Maloney, cooling water that I mentioned, and then they return it to the water, return the water to the South Platte River, uh, just above where the South Platte and the North Platte come together to form the North or the Platte River. Just below that, we have our diversion dam, and then we can take water into our system, use it for hydroelectric purposes, wildlife habitat purposes, all those benefits that I mentioned before, and then return water back to the Platte River after it's passed through. That water that's not used for irrigation comes back to the river. Your biggest hydropower plant is at Lake McConaughey and Kingsley Dam. How big of a deal is that? How much power is it making to supply Nebraskans? It's rated as a 50 megawatt capacity plant. Typically we try to maintain it something less than that. 43 would typically be the capacity but it serves as a peaking plant mostly. Hydro plants, the nice thing about those is they can rise and fall in generation to match demands on the grid. 
Now, of course, all of our power is sold to the Nebraska Public Power District uh, at wholesale, and then they take over delivery of it. But having a hydro plant on the system helps smooth out those peaks and valleys that you're likely to encounter in an electrical grid over the course of the day. You mentioned the number that is attached to how much can be generated from the power plant, but what does that actually mean to a user that might not understand that number? (laughs) It's very difficult to put all that into perspective, so I'm going to use a couple other numbers that I have on top of my head. Central's four hydro plants altogether would have the capacity to produce 113 megawatts of power. Okay, if you were able to, and this is not the way it works, but if you were able to direct all that to a single city, that would be enough power to take care of all the residential needs of a city of 90,000 people. So it's not an insignificant amount of power. With the lake levels and where things are, where are we standing today for those irrigators for the season? We're entering the 2017 irrigation season, which is really, as I understand it, uh, really picking up just as we speak. Uh, We didn't quite reach peak capacity of elevation 3265 this year, but we came close. I think we peaked out at elevation 3258.2, and we're now at about foot lower than that. And so we're, water supply-wise, we're in pretty good shape. Our irrigators will receive full supplies. On the recreation side of it, there are beaches available at Lake McConaughey that uh, the uh, campers will appreciate. It's shaping up to be a good water year. For some producers who might live further down the plat, they are in Central's district. What does this irrigation season and the lake levels mean to those even further down the river? Well, good water supply is always important, uh, not only from the irrigation standpoint, but the river itself helps to recharge the groundwater aquifer in certain parts of the state. In our area, uh, even those producers who aren't necessarily our customers benefit from that groundwater recharge. They don't see the declines in their in their irrigation wells like they might otherwise experience. But anytime you have water in the river, from an overall water resources standpoint, that's much better than, than uh, seeing that dry riverbed, which means probably that you're in a long, hot, dry spell. So... We've been talking with Jeff Butner. He is the Public Relations Coordinator with Central Nebraska Public Power Irrigation District, also co-host of the Nebraska Water Center Water Tour that took place this week. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Back on the Rural Radio Network, and we talked to the livestock futures today with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, an interesting day. Uh, we're going to finish mixed in the uh, live cattle. Uh, the expiring uh, June cattle went off at a dollar ten lower, and uh, the August uh, off about twenty cents, and the rest higher. So we uh, saw some uh, bear spreading there, uh, but uh, just kind of staying with what cash trade there has been. Uh, and that put a little bit of pressure on the front end. Uh, the feeders, uh, boy, did they make a nice comeback after being uh, uh, triple-digit lower, uh, came back to close higher. Now, the uh, cattle closed lower, live cattle closed lower on the week, uh, mainly because of the expiring June contract, but uh, the feeders closed higher for the week. Uh, cutouts at noon, sharply lower again, and... Uh, so uh, we still have a few problems to get through uh, uh, in the uh, live cattle. Over in the hogs, uh, 
sharply higher with the uh, August contract limit up, the uh, rest of them uh, posting some triple gains through February. Uh, and that uh, poses an interesting. Uh, uh, we're still uh, moving along. Cash still the leader as we ch- try and chase down the uh, index. And obviously we close higher for the week uh, with a sharp uh, increase we've had this week. So uh, all in all, uh, fairly decent week for uh, livestock. I mean, cattle really uh, closing only slightly lower for the week. The rest all higher. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call him at 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. It's time again this week for Fridays in the Field. Shaley Peters joining you for our weekly discussion with farmers from across Nebraska. To look at different areas of farming this week, we join back up with Central Nebraska farmer Ben Peters. And Ben, we're out here in front of one of your cornfields. We'll just start by talking about this cornfield here. Since the last time we talked, and some of your other fields as well, getting hit by some hail this year? Yeah, we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a storm come through, some smaller stuff, and then once in a while there was some golf ball-sized hail or a little bigger uh, and had a little bit of wind with it, so it stripped up some of the corn pretty good. It was the end of May the last time we've talked to you. Obviously, the corn has done a little bit of growing, the beans as well. Give us kind of an update of where you're at right now. The corn's really growing. Once it grew out of the hail damage, it's grown pretty fast, and then we had a, about an and a half of rain with that storm so that helped and then had a little bit of rain again the other night so the corn's really taking off the beans are growing pretty fast too i would guess there's some corn in the area that'll probably be tasseling here in the next oh probably 10 days 10 to 14 days so you mentioned the rain you got the other night and as we look around here you've got pipe laid out uh this is a big irrigation area we touched on that in our initial interview our first interview of fridays in the field talk about what it's like getting fired up with irrigation laying out pipe getting those pivots running here yeah, we had been irrigating uh, the corn. I had run the, the pivots on some of the beans to activate some residual herbicides. But just about everybody had kind of been laying out pipe and getting getting wells going until this rain here. And I assume probably here this weekend or Monday again, everybody will be running again if it doesn't rain. That's what my next question was going to be. How much rain did you get? How long is it expected to last? Right now, the corn's not using as much. So we had the other night, we had an inch and a quarter. So I'll probably start everything back up maybe Sunday night, Monday morning. So right now, the corn's not using a lot. The beans aren't using a lot. But here in the next week or 10 days or so, once the corn starts taking off, it'll it'll start using a quarter inch, 30 hundredths a day. So we'll really be watering pretty hard here after another 10 days or so. So this is kind of a crucial time, as you mentioned, with pollination coming up. Give us two different scenarios here if it continues to rain, and then what happens then if, if it doesn't, the spigot essentially gets shut off. Well, if we keep catching rain, that would be a good thing. Irrigation isn't really meant to replace rain. It's meant to supplement. So if, if we don't catch summer rains, it's kind of hard to get to keep caught up with stuff. Uh, around here, we have pretty shallow water, but it's not the best, so... <clears throat> It'd be nice to keep catching a little bit of rain to help us stay ahead with the watering. If it doesn't rain, we'll be watering nonstop until all oh, the 1st of September, 10th of September on the beans maybe. just kind of depends on how they do. Going back to some of the severe weather you have seen since the last time we talked, how much impact do you think that that will have on final outcome? You know, it's hard to tell before we get to the grain fill process and really start to assess that yield. But looking out now, do you think it will have much effect on your yield this year? It's hard to tell. Uh, the corn really looks good, but, you know, we had that real 
cool wet weather uh the end of april beginning of may and then now with the hail and the wind uh, we could see maybe later on some disease issues so it's really hard to say the corn looks good right now but we still have a lot of a lot of growing season left so it's kind of hard to tell i think everything looks really good the beans really look pretty good so i'm still somewhat optimistic but long ways to go all right thanks for the update ben central nebraska farmer ben peters farms corn and soybeans in the worms area we'll continue to follow ben throughout the growing season for more audio and video of fridays in the field you can always visit ruralradio.com i'm shaley peters for this edition of fridays in the field for the rural radio network Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Well, it was all about the report today, USDA's acreage and stock numbers that came out, and it uh, really provided some upward momentum for soybeans as well as wheat, and even pulled corn to double-digit rally at the end. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Okay, what's your newsletter going to say about This Week in Grain? Well, I think a little bit of a, uh, of a turning point, I think, with the wheat markets being through July delivery. If, if you've been listening to us all week, you know that's kind of been my point about being why the, why the corn and bean markets really hadn't moved and how we really thought wheat was lagging behind this Minneapolis contract. And, and now we've seen the deliveries in the past. So anybody who sold grain or had stored grain and they, they held on, they're probably not going to sell this next week. And so we're going to start trading a little more speculatively and a little bit more on future production-based, and we got a couple of really good news announcements today from beans. Uh, you know, we saw residuals fall, which means that, uh, you know, demand, which has kind of been priced a little bit weaker than I, what I was comfortable with, uh, came in and, and really kind of slapped a lot of the bears in the face with a, a good number, uh, I think kind of running the lowest estimate for that grain stocks report. And then you have, you have the acreage, which... I, I think for corn, 90 million is a really kind of a lower range where we've been the last five or six years, whereas beans up around that 90 million, I think that might have signified a little bit of a, of a bad price point for the bears. We got that rejected with a high 80 or like a mid 89 number, which is still high, but you know, these, these are all, with beans, we're talking about margins of like 100 million bushels. So when you start changing these numbers slightly, they affect the bean balance sheet so much more than they affect the corn. So um, that was a huge thing in my opinion. And then, of course, the wheat numbers. Uh, the, the headlines in the, in the papers are probably going to read lowest wheat acres since 1919, uh, and they shrunk from last report. And that's even with pretty low abandonment. I think you're going to see that abandonment continue to rise. So I, I, we kind of have a you know, a confluence of bullish news, and I think the snowball could could really get rolling here if this heat would come in. Looking ahead, Sunday night into Monday, do you think and expect volatility just like today? I do. I think we'll, we'll continue to push at least through last week's highs, or two weeks ago, uh, on the corn and beans. We, you know, you're hitting some levels where, yeah, obviously, you're seeing the Minneapolis and the, and the KC spreads are, are done moving. They're, everything's moving together now, which is, you know, maybe a little bit of a toppy sign, but... Um, Given the, the stock numbers for spring wheat, I mean, in those acres, like, until we get rain up there or we get a cool, I don't think anything's going to change. And there's a big kind of dome of hot air that's going to be sitting out over the Dakotas. If that moves east, watch out. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Dewey Nelson reporting. <laughs> 